We're in the book of Colossians. We're going to start with Colossians chapter 1. And really, it is... It's one of my favorite letters of Paul. It's, 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 it's not very long. Um, but I love the fact that he's dealing with a church that he never met face-to-face because Paul never met me face-to-face. And so we can sort of see some of the things that he would say to believers that he is not so intimately connected to. And, and so he didn't meet them face-to-face. But this book is just incredibly full of glory. Glory for Jesus, and then it just, uh, there's so much practical instruction, right? We get to the, the end of chapter 1, and we're going to look at that next week. This Some of the best picture of the divinity of Christ anywhere in the New Testament starts in Colossians 1, chapter 15, with the video was showing us that kind of poem that Paul lays out there. It's just incredible. When we get to chapter 3, there's this whole section about putting off and putting on. And when we have a person uh, new to faith in Christ, one of the very first lessons that we take them to is Colossians chapter 3. There are things as new believers we need to get out of our lives, and there are things as new believers we need to put into our lives. And this just a, it's just a process. We have to do it. We put things, some things off. We put some things on. And so it's just incredibly practical. He talks about rules for the Christian household and how we should be different from the other families that are around us in the world? What, what should we look like? How should we be uh, different? And it's just, to me, it's super practical. I love this. I love this little letter. But we're not in Colossians 3 today. We're not at the end of chapter 1. We're just here at the beginning. So let's look at Colossians 1, 1 through 14, and read that together, and then we'll pray and just ask God to move in our midst today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, who by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, and is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Lord, I just recognize um, lots of pastors that I know and love and respect would probably take a whole month just 
preaching through this section of scripture. And so as we try to cover this ground today, I pray that you would make it available to us. Would you open our hearts and minds to your word? Would you open your word to our hearts and minds that we might understand it, that we might apply it rightly, that we might live, Lord, uh, the way that you would want us to live, that we would believe the way that you would uh, want us to believe in these days. And we pray that you would just bring uh, strength. I pray that you would help me to decrease, that you might increase in this place. Be glorified. I pray, speak to our hearts. Save people. This morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, I want us to see three things out of this text. So literally, I believe you could preach this section for weeks at a time, but we're just going to make it through just in today. And I want to pull out three things. First, the marks of a believer, the marks of a believer, then the work of a believer, and the position of a believer. So this is the marks of a believer. Marks of a believer. So there's certain things that should be evident in the lives of people who are following Christ. Now, around the world, Christianity moves into different cultures. And one of the things that I love about how Christianity moves into different places is that it looks slightly different from person to person and culture to culture. There's not a thing that comes in from outside and says, now Hokkien culture has to change and become like this, or now uh, Southern American culture has to change and become like that. Instead, there's this thing that allows the best parts of our culture to come out and and then still other parts are redeemed, right? There are definitely changes that need to be made. So there are certain things that are true for all believers at all times in all cultures. And so if this was in the Middle Ages and you're a believer, these things should be true about you. If, it's, if you're in North Korea now and you're a believer, it should be true. Here's the first one. Faith in Christ, faith in Christ. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. It should really go without saying that as Christians that they would have faith in Christ. But let me tell you, it does not go without saying. There are churches, not just churches, whole denominations where the gospel is completely absent. People will go into a church and they hear and there are all these songs about blood, 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 blood. Why do you sing songs about blood? We sing songs about blood because it is through him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have to sing about these kinds of things. And so there are churches, there are people with no gospel witness. I've told this story, I think, a number of times. We we did a uh, evangelism training at a church here in JB. And so part of the evangelism training was to write your testimony. Everyone needs to be able to share your testimony in two minutes or less. And so we would write them, and then we would stand up, and I would pair up, maybe with Guang Yin, and I would read mine, and then he would read his, and then we would switch, and I would get Courtney, and I would read mine, and she would read hers, and we would just go person to person. We would take 30 minutes or so, just telling it over and over, hearing it over and over. I came to this boy, his church member, 15, 16 years old, and I said, tell me about how you became a believer. Or tell me about how you became a Christian. It's probably how I said it. Tell me about how you became a Christian. Well, he said, oh, my parents were Christians. One time I was really sick, really sick. They thought I might die. And I was in the hospital for days and days. And the doctors, they came and they did tests and we gave medicine. And God saved me. And I'm listening to his testimony. And I'm thinking, what's lacking here is an understanding of sin, a conviction of sin, the fact that I personally have believed in Jesus Christ. It was just, I was sick. I got saved. He's meaning physically I was saved from death, and now I'm a Christian. I'm from a Christian family, and that's the way it works. 
That happens to me often enough that I don't ask people anymore, when did you become a Christian? I'll usually say, tell me how you became a follower of Christ. Tell me when you were born again. Some sort of question like that. How did you become a Christian? Oh, I became a Christian when, my, when I was born. Right? Restaurant in JB one day. I asked a guy from Sarawak, when did you become a Christian? I've always been a Christian. Oh, really? How do you become? If your friend wanted to become a Christian, how would you explain the gospel to your friend? And he said, I don't understand the question. And I said, your friend is not a Christian. Okay, got that. Your friend wants to become a Christian. Okay, got that. What would you tell your friend on how to become? What, how would you explain? And he said, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Right? Ask him. He's a Christian church member. He's had this experience, but he is not part of the body of Christ. So we can't assume that people who self-identify even as Christians are Christians. And that's not even to put into it uh, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and Unitarians and other people like that. If you said, if you poked them and said, what are you? They'd say, I'm a Christian, but they're not Christians because they deny core doctrines of the faith. They said, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I had, had a guy that used to come here sometime. I don't think Jesus really died on the cross, but I believe he would have died on the cross if he needed to die on the cross. I think he would have died. And he wanted to join the church. And I said, you're not a Christian. You shouldn't join the church because you're not a believer. You should become a believer, and you should come to the church. As people, we have this thing where we would rather believe in ourselves and our own ability than surrender real control of our lives to Christ. So the first mark of a believer is faith in Christ. Without that, we're not actually talking about a follower of Christ. And I would say that is not a massive problem. A person recognizing they think they're a Christian, but realizing they're not, it's not a huge problem. That's a problem. You just, okay, then that's what you, you understand. Uh, I'm here. I, I'd rather be there. And you make the transition in your life that you need to make. The danger is when someone says that they are something and they're not something. And when you try to explain it to them, they say, no, that's just not, that's just not true. My parents were Christians. I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist. Why would you try to say that I'm not a Christian? Without faith, we're not talking about a follower. Here's the second thing. Love of love for, love for the saints, right? Paul says, not just your faith in Christ, but the love that you have for all the saints. True believers not only love Jesus, we love the church as well. Even though the church is populated with people that get on our nerves sometimes. They take our seat, or they do this or that, or they sing off-key, or they don't sing loud enough, or they do whatever these things that people do that, that ends up bothering us. We get bothered by other people in the church. It's just the truth. But if we say, I love Jesus, but I have no use for the church, that's a problem. There's like a disconnect there. We have to have a love for the saints. So a confession of love for Jesus without a genuine love for his people is a contradiction. I love Jesus, and I love the thing that I see of Jesus that's in you. That's what it means to be part of the body. I love that I can, that I can hear the story about how you came to faith and then led other people in your family to faith. Or I love how you came to faith, um, right? We, we're just, I mean, small things, right? The food court the other night, and, uh, and so Bethany pays for the drinks. Uh, we have whatever the drinks, and the drinks, it's four something, and she gives five ringgit, and the lady gives all the drinks, and then gives four ringgit and a bunch of change on top of that. Or five ring it and a bunch of change, some change on top of that. And so she said, I think the lady thought I gave a 10, but I only gave a five. And so then we called the lady back over and she said, yeah, you gave a 10. And we said, no, no, we just, we just gave a five. 
But for us, that's for our family, that's an integrity thing. Like if, if we know it's not our five ringgit and we take it, we're stealing. And we don't want to steal. We'd rather we'd rather pay five extra ringgit to have them than go home thinking we stole five ringgit from this lady that's working in the food court. Because I know who's gonna pay it, right? The lady who's doing the drinks, not the person who's ultimately uh, renting the whole place out. And so it ought to impact uh, what we do. And so when I see this spark in Bethany that that that's behaving in a certain way, I think, man, I love that thing about Jesus that's working in Bethany. They're good moral people who don't steal, right, that are outside the church. But what we see is in her life and in other lives like that is that, that thing that Jesus is doing in the life of the saints. We see it in you, so many of you, and it just, for us, it's so encouraging. Third thing is this, the hope of the future. The hope of the future. He says in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven and I, I think I think it seems like I looked and looked and looked at these. It's just one huge sentence, but I, I really feel like Paul is saying these two things are built on this one thing. So the love for Jesus and the love for the saints is built on this hope that we have for the future. We love Jesus because he has settled our future. We love God's people even when they're not lovable because we know that we're pushing in the same direction. We're on the same team. These are people I'm going to be with for all of eternity and so i'm excited for what god is doing not only in them now but what god will do in them in the future so that's the marks of a believer the work of a believer will go faster is like this what can be expected of us as believers first prayer for the body paul paul comes through and lists out these things that he's praying for them which is uh he talks about fruit and and, and he talks about perseverance and we're, we're going to get to that in a few minutes but I would say Paul's example for us is praying for these believers, whether he knows them personally or not. So here's the challenge for me. When I think about the church, can I pray for people in IBCBI the way I want when many of you would, would say, yes, there's been a time when Craig's come up and introduced himself to me on my sixth visit, and he just doesn't know who I am. Or when you would say, uh, uh, who is this person or who is that person? When we, would, when, uh, when we might say, hey, pray for my kids. And people, people don't want to be exposed about the fact that they don't know your kids' names. So they say, I'll do it. But they can't really pray super effectively because they don't know your children's names. Their relationships are not where they should be at that, in, that, in that way. So that Paul doesn't just pray, Lord, would you bless the Colossians? He's praying for them very specifically. He's praying for them looking for certain answers from God. And if we're not praying for specific things, the question would be, how do we ever know if we get an answer? If we're just praying, oh, God bless them, and they seem to be blessed, and we can feel pretty good about that. But if we're praying for a, a job or if we're praying for some uh, deliverance from a medical issue or some sign of, we can, we can tell if we get answers to specific prayers. So prayer for the body, walking in a worthy manner. He says in verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And so what should we expect of the life of a believer? Should we expect that person's life is uh, more pleasing to Christ or more pleasing to themselves? And then I have to ask this question. Is that a standard just for other people or is it a standard that I'm supposed to be following? Of course, there's a standard for all of us, right? If I can expect things out of other believers that I don't put on my own life. Again, we'll come back to this in, in just a minute, but I just wonder, are we, do we pray for one another, really pray for one another? Or are we just praying for ourselves? 
Because I think the way that we pray for other people will, will show, the way we pray for ourselves even will show this dependence that we should be having on Jesus. Fruit bearing. Christians should live a life that is bearing spiritual fruit. Galatians chapter 5, many of you have this memorized. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if I'm going to be a fruit-bearing disciple, that's the question. Am I loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and gentle and faithful and, and I'm under self-control? Not all the time, right? We're not expected to be perfect, but are we, are we kind of growing in these? Are we growing in these things? When we have the explosion at the traffic light or with the person, right? We, we had this the other night at the... Uh, the kids say I have this retail worker face, right? And so this retail worker face where I just, <laughs> right? I'm asking for something. I feel like this is not challenging. And then they, uh, whatever, they don't do it or they give me some kind of excuse. And I just say, I mean, it went, one night this week went all the way to this, right? And they were like, Dad, you are embarrassing us, right? And so am I being a loving, patient, self-controlled person when I know that I'm behaving in a way that I shouldn't? I'm not, Right? And I shouldn't need a 15-year-old to, to, to correct me on that, but sometimes I do. Why do we have these things? Why should we be bearing fruit? Paul says in verse 24, so 22, 23, fruit of the Spirit, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so I'm just in this place where I think, am I more important than this person that's waiting the table tonight? Is what I want more important than what the person at the next table has asked for? And sometimes I have to admit, sometimes I think, yeah, it's more important. I want my drink right now. What are you doing? Hurry up. Right? And I give them the retail worker face. We should be bearing fruit. We should be increasing in the knowledge of God. So the last mark right here in this I want to see is the, the, the fact that we should be continually growing in our knowledge of God. I heard a pastor friend tell me one time he had a, a guy in his church who came and said, I have been a Christian for 20 years. And he said, my answer to that guy was, no, you've been a Christian one year, 20 times. Right? You're doing the same thing this year that you did 15 years ago. And so are we increasing in knowledge? Are we people that are growing in the grace of the Lord? Is my ministry being stretched? Am I doing things that I, haven't, I wasn't able to do two or three or five years ago? We should be. We should be growing how we serve and how we love one another, how we, uh, how we, I don't know, the things that we read and apply and the stuff that the Holy Spirit's revealing to us, that should be, that should be growing in us. He should be stretching. The, the return of Christ is sooner every day. And so the question is, am I better and better prepared? Because I should be. Then here's the last one, the position of the believer. I think... I think this part really is the most glorious. I'm going to give it the least amount of time, even though I think it's just incredible. But these, these verses, they're just the kind of things that I feel like we should, if we're reading them, that in our car we're, we're thinking about this, right? At a red light, we're thinking about these things. And, and the Holy Spirit's uh, giving us greater and greater understanding of these things day by day. And, and they, just, they just challenge us about who we are. So the first one is qualified. This really is, to me, something that I think about in traffic because I think it is one of the most glorious truths that we see in the entire Scripture. 
when uh, it says, giving thanks, this is in verse 12, Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the uh, inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father has qualified me. If you are in Christ, the Father has qualified you. You were not qualified, and He made you qualified. It's like this. This is where the picture of adoption is so important, right? If if Bill Gates passes away at some point and they read his will, guess whose name's not going to be in there? Mine. I'm not getting anything. But if I were to be adopted into Bill Gates' family, I'm probably older than Bill Gates, but if I were to be adopted somehow as his child and he passed away, I would be qualified for this inheritance that I'm not qualified for now. So what Paul is saying, Jesus took me, not qualified, brought me in, made me qualified, put me at his table. It's just, it is in, it's incredible that he's given me this opportunity, that he's given those of us who are in Christ this opportunity to be qualified to be his. Then transferred, qualified and transferred. I was once, we've seen this on, I was once, I was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. That's what it means to be in the domain of darkness. And he reaches in and he yanks us out and puts us instead in his kingdom of heavenly light this is something that when i'm leading worship i think about this all the time you delivered me from the from the dominion of darkness and delivered me into the kingdom of eternal light i can't believe it i don't i mean i'm just at my core i am not a kind person right i really feel like i'm maybe super under control when i'm giving the retail worker face because i'm not giving the retail worker speech at that point i'm just but I am just, by nature, right, selfish. I think I shouldn't have to wait, and I want to go ahead, and I do all these different kinds of things. And the truth is, when I do that, then the Holy Spirit says, what, what a jerk, like, what, this is, what are you doing, right? And then I can, I, I don't, how many times I've gone back to someone at a restaurant or at a hotel or something and just apologized. I'm really sorry. I'm a believer. I don't know about you, but you don't deserve to be treated the way that I treated you, and so I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me for that? I know better. I shouldn't have done it. Do you have any idea what you're talking about? Typically, no. They're just like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, no, it's important. I'm telling you, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And even in the church, people have a tough time saying, I forgive you. But I think that's what it looks like, right, for us. When, when I'm really convicted by the Spirit... So me not being the kind of person at my core that thinks that I'm a good person, it's amazing to me that he would transfer me out of darkness and bring me to this place. And then the last one's redeemed and forgiven, right? We were unsinful, or we were sinful, and we were unqualified to be in his presence. But Jesus instead takes on all of our sin. That's what we saw in the video. Jesus takes on all of our sin. He had completely obeyed the Old Testament law. He lays on us all of his obedience. So that's this great transference that happens. All my sin off me onto him, all of his obedience off him onto me. So now when God looks, he's seeing me as completely sinless and obedient, and he's seeing Christ as sinful and disobedient because we've, because we've transferred spots. We were found guilty. We were sentenced to death, and instead Jesus came and took our death for us. So in Jesus, our sin can be forgiven, and we can be rescued from all that we deserved. And we rightly deserved it. Right? So 
That's the picture of what it, the, this kind of marks of what I'm calling the position of the believer, qualified, transferred, redeemed. And so what are we supposed to do about this, right? We can, we can apply this in a lot of ways, but this, I think, is the most, probably the most important, okay? Be grateful. F.F. Bruce says this, if God's actions and attitude toward his people have been characterized by grace, their response to him in life and conduct, as well as in thought and word, should be characterized by gratitude. Nothing less is fitting considering how he has qualified them to share in the inheritance of his holy people. We see this sometimes, like, right, in, in a, maybe some character in a movie, right, there's a rich person, and this, someone's in the entourage, right? Someone's the helper of the rich person, and somehow the helper of the rich person develops some sort of attitude like they're special. We're not special if we're just in the entourage. Like, there's someone else who's the celebrity that's the famous singer or athlete or something like that. The fact that I'm his friend and can carry his bags doesn't make me special, really. Makes me, should make me grateful, appreciative for what Jesus has done in my life. And if we're not careful, we get the opposite of this, which is expectant, right? When we become people who expect, when we expect, and when we start to be people who expect, then we, then we actually slide pretty quickly into demanding. And so then we hear, we hear things like this. Well, where was God when this thing happened, right? And we start demanding that he behave in a certain way based on what we think is the right thing for him to do. So as his children, we have the right to ask anything that we want. We have never the right to tell him what he ought to be doing. A heart of gratitude keeps us humble. It keeps us connected. And really, it is a light to the people that are around us. When you work in such a way that you are humble. And I'm not saying that you that, you, that someone, steals your, someone steals your work and turns it in as their own. That you just say, oh, that's the way people are. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when people say, this is the greatest report that's ever been written in the history of mankind, that you say, thanks. And then you just move on, right? You don't go around all day saying, it's actually the greatest report that's ever been written in the history of mankind. I don't know if you heard. Be grateful. And then I would say this is important for us. Pray specifically. Paul prays about what these people believe, about what they understand, what they know, how they behave. He prays that they would have strength, that these people would endure, that they would be joyful. We have, as the body of Christ, a responsibility to be praying for one another. If we're one body, we should behave like it. If I want to jog in the morning and my foot hurts, guess what? The whole body stays home. I just don't do it. We don't behave lots of times like a body. We have trouble praying about specific details in a person's life because we don't know them well enough to know their details. And we should know one another well enough. And not everybody in the whole church, but you ought to be connected to enough people that you could really, really pray. I used to judge this. Uh, I used to judge this when I was in America and we were working at the radio station. The people that were really my friends, I knew where they went, where they banked. Right? Because sometimes we'd go to lunch and they wouldn't have money and they would say, Oh, take me by the bank. I have to go to the ATM and get money. This was before people put everything on a debit card. This was back in the olden days when you had cash and you went places with it. But I would know, I knew where all of my close friends were they bank. They would just say, Go by the bank and I would know what bank they meant. And we would go there because I spent time with these people. We need to be able to spray, pray specifically for people's uh, kids by name, where they work, what kind of struggles do they have. 
We're not going to be praying. God's not going to be moving if we're not praying, I don't think, for the people that are at least sitting next to us. Christians can be famous for having this kind of, um, how are you doing? I'm really great. Thanks for asking. And we're just crushed inside. And we won't let anybody see it. We need to pray specifically. We have to get involved in people's lives, and we have to allow people to get involved in our lives as well, right? That could get a little bit messy sometimes, but... We allow people in and let them kind of see the inner workings of things. Here's the last thing. If we're going to uh, be grateful, we're going to pray specifically, and then we're going to live worthy lives. So how do we do this? We live in, How do we work, live in a manner that's worthy of Christ? I want to show you two, two passages. The first one is this in John 15, 5. Jesus puts the weight of the fruit bearing on himself, not on his disciples, right? I'm the vine. You are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we are vines, if he's the branch, if we'll stay connected, he will work through us to produce the fruit that needs to be produced. Not the branch's job to do that. Stay connected to the vine and let the vine do the work through you. That's what it means. Then here's the second one. This is in uh, 2 Peter 1. So 2 Peter 1, 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, verse 7, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter gives us this list that kind of fleshes it out, right? We have faith and right living and knowledge and self-control and not giving up and being godly and having affection for other people and love. And he says we should, uh, there, make every make every effort, right? There's a thing that we do. We make every effort because these qualities will keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. If we don't have these qualities, we are unfruitful. So if we're living a worthy life, we're going to have these things happening in our lives. We're going to be uh, people who are believing, people who are right living, people who are learning, people who are keeping ourselves under control, right? When we say, this cue is, oh, this cue is going so slow. And then we just drag our little cue curves over to the next cue. We make that cue go slow instead. Then this one goes really fast. Right? Somehow we we deep dig deep down in our spirit and we find some self-control and we find some perseverance and we find some love for other people. I'm so glad those people are getting to go faster than me through this line. We don't give up. We have godliness, affection for other people, love. We make every effort. We keep ourselves under control. We press on. We pursue eternal things. We have God's heart for the people around us. We love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So how can we do that? How do we live a worthy life? This is the thing I, I think this is so beautiful about the gospel. How are we supposed to live a worthy life when that's the goal? And I can't even keep it together between home and the school when I'm dropping Hudson off in the morning, right? First time I encounter traffic, I'm upset. Here's how we do it. We go back to John 15, 5. We abide in Christ. If I get up and I'm in the scripture and I'm praying, I'm spending time with the Lord, my commute goes better. If I skip one day, two days, three days, then I'm in line thinking, what an idiot, this guy, oh, who is he? Why does he think he gets, to, oh, you're not cutting meat, right? And I'm just me, 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 and I'm aggressive. We abide in Christ. I think that Peter's list is miraculous. 
I think that this happens oftentimes in the scripture. God says, do these things and that we don't have the ability to do. It is literally unattainable in our flesh. But he's saying, if you abide in me, then I will produce fruit through you. And so we just stay connected. When you have a when you lose a loved one, there's, there's not some miraculous thing that you're supposed to come and say. Right? I think you just come and weep and love on people and try to encourage them with your presence. It's unattainable in our flesh. If we live for ourselves, we'll lose everything. If we lose ourselves instead, we will gain everything. And if we do that, then we will be the kind of people that Paul talks about right as this passage opened up. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. That's who we want to be. Faith in Christ, loving God's people, living out this way that we have hope. This, this, this world's not my home. I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to pass away at some point. I'm going to be in an accident. I'm going to, something's going to happen, and I'm going to be finished here. But when I'm finished here, I'm not finished because I'll just be moving on to what the real purpose of my life has been all this time. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for taking uh, sinful people like us and delivering us out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of heavenly light. And so, Lord, with incredible humility, we look around and we never would say that person's not a believer. That person's not following with any sort of haughtiness because we too groped around in the dark doing what we thought was right until you came and grabbed us and pulled us out. You gave us the opportunity to hear the gospel, opened our hearts so that we can believe it and then made us your children. What's to be proud about in that? And so, Lord, even if there are people here today who are separated then I pray, Jesus, with all the humility that we could muster, that you would open their hearts, that they might see the gospel as glorious and they might uh, respond to it. Lord, I thank you that you don't make us clean ourselves up so that we can come to you. But you say, come to me so that I can be at work in your life. I pray that you would bless those who are uh, here today. Father, we, we do just have multiple families who have experienced loss, and so we pray for comfort and peace as they move on. Lord, others of us who look at the new year, 2019, and Lord, we have great expectations. I want to get more organized. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better student, or I want to work harder, or want to follow Christ better. And we pray that through all these things that you would not just make us optimistic, but you would make us fruitful. And so we pray that you would give us, Lord, the desire to abide in Christ little by little, day by day, that slowly and surely that these little hills would become mountains. We pray that you would bless this week that's before us. Father, you know what we're going to face, and so we just lay it before you, and we ask, God, for your name to be glorified. And I thank you for your spirit, God, how you love us and how you speak to us. We pray that you would draw people today. Lord, if there are any who are apart from you today, I pray that you would not give them freedom to walk out the door until they've come to Christ. We pray otherwise that you would bless us and help us grow in fellowship. Lord, help us trust you enough to trust the people that are around us, to open up our hearts 
to say, well, this is, this is really true about me, and I need you to pray for me. I need you to be an encourager to me. I need you to read with somebody or whatever it happens to be. Lord, we pray that you would grow our relationships, that we might be um, more and more a light in our community. Thank you again for uh, the families that are here today. Pray that you bless them and use them. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much for... Uh, being with us today. Thank you for not throwing away the plastic cups and uh, thank you for letting us know about experiencing God. If you want to be part of that study, uh, Elizabeth, is Ruth back this week? Yes. Ruth is back this week. The men's Bible study is back at Sam's on Tuesday night. And so you're invited. That's a, either of those studies you can still join. Just jump in. If you need more information, let us know. Have a tremendous week. And if you need anything, please let us know. Oh,